You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, Real Paranormal Activity is proud to present the Sandman Lullaby with your host, Patrick Sean Jones. Babbles of blocks to the highest heavens towering. Flames of fertility swirling below. Poisonous fungi and bricks and stone glowing. Lanterns that shudder and death's lights that glow. Black monstrous bridges across oily rivers. Cobwebs of cable by nameless things spun. Catacombs deep, whose dark chaos delivers. Streams of live order that rots in the sun. Color and splendor, disease and decay. Shrinking and ringing and scrambling insane. Rambles exotic to stranger gods praying. Jumbles of odors that stifle the brain. Legends of cats from the alleys nocturnal, howling and leaning in glares of the moon, screening the future with mounting inferno, yielding to the burdens of Plato's red room. Tall towers and pyramids ivied and crumbling, bats swoop low in the weed-crumbled streets, Leak broken bridges over rivers whose rumbling joins with no voice as the thick tide retreats. Belfries that blackly against the moon totter, caverns whose mouths are by mosses affected, and living to answer the wind and the water, only to lean cats that howl in the waste.
Sandman Lullaby here on RPA, Real Paranormal Activity. This is Patrick Sean Jones, your little host of this little phantom cast that we bring to you every once in a while when we can get near a microphone. And let me introduce you to the guests that I have in the studio with me today. And sitting straight across from me is one of the biggest names in the Tampa Bay area that works with the bands, and she's an a&R representative. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, let me introduce to you Luscious Lady Lisa. Hello. How are you doing, dear? I'm doing very well. How are you? Perfectly fine. <laughs> I brought you in. And let me introduce the other person that I have on the other side, which is actually on the phone with us. And that's uh, Mr. Troy Mason. What's up, Troy? Hey, how's it going, buddy? You doing all right, man? Uh, doing good, man. Doing good. Okay, these yeah, are these are professional dreamers that I got in here with me right now. Actually, Troy himself, he is. Uh, go ahead and give us your background real quick, Troy. Sure, no problem. Um, I'm a registered nurse. Um, I've been a registered nurse now for, oh, let's say, about uh, 12, 12, 13 years. Um, my my specialty was in uh, critical care. And uh, my primary trauma, uh, surgical, uh, open heart surgery, intensive care, and emergency room. Um, but I uh, also specialized in neuro in neurology and uh, neuro ICU with the trauma ICU came with that. So a lot of that came with a lot of the head stuff, brain, and spinal stuff came uh, later on in my career. Dude, you know basically almost there is to go out there. So what? what I brought you in and why I brought Lisa in is because you were talking to me about sleep paralysis that you went through when you yeah. were a kid. Yeah, I did. I did. I had um, it was like a it was like a series of of episodes that all kind of came on at once um, regarding uh, sleep and uh, neurological and a neurological sense of. Um, anomalies or what have you i uh it all kind of started whenever i was i was probably about 15 or 15 years old actually to be exact and i was at a uh, disney world uh, in orlando with um my girlfriend at the time and her family and i'd been to the park many times we were at magic kingdom to be specific and we were actually uh, uh riding the roller coaster space mountain i'm sure everyone's been on that roller coaster before um if you remember on that roller coaster, not really a death-defying roller coaster to say the least, but if you can remember, if you've ever ridden it before, um, inside the roller coaster, it's an indoor coaster, and there's a lot of white flashing strobe lights So you know, during the ride. Well, as I was getting on the ride, I was like any other time I'd ever been on it. It was no, no big deal. Throughout the ride, it was, it was an exhilarating adrenaline rush, but towards the very end of the ride, I noticed there was a sudden change in my, in my, uh, the way I felt. I felt extremely, um, very bad, to say the least. It was just the best way to put it. I felt terrible. And the ride came to a stop, and my girlfriend was sitting in front of me. She got out of the little cart, and she, I started to get out. I was getting out real slow. I obviously probably had a look of just fear on my face, and her parents and her brother were in the carts in front of us, and they were walking up to us, you know, laughing, and, you know, woo, that was fun, and I just kind of was looking at the ground and just kind of get out of there. I wanted to get out of there. I felt like an impending, the impending doom coming on is the way that I felt, and um, they were just kind of looking at me like, Troy, what's wrong? What's going on? I was like, I'm, I'm okay, you know, I didn't want to say anything was wrong. I felt like I was going to ruin everyone's good time, and 
I'm sure whatever it was was going to pass. But as it didn't pass, as I left the the um, entrance, the ex- exit of the building of the coaster, we exited into the Tomorrowland little um, area there outside the Tomorrowland restaurant. Lots of people there. Um, it was crowded, packed that day. And they decided they were going to go in the Tomorrowland restaurant right across from the roller coaster. And I just kind of traced behind them. And my girlfriend was next to me. She's like, are you okay? You don't look so good. I was like, I'm fine. I'm okay. Just, you know, I didn't want anyone looking at me. I really, at that point, I was, I had this, I can't describe, but if it's just, they call it the impending doom, this uh, fear of death that's just coming on. You can't explain it, but it's just this horrible feeling coming over you. And, um, we went inside the restaurant, and everyone ordered lunch. I was starving before I got on the roller coaster. When I walked in that restaurant, I couldn't have anything to do with food. Um, everyone knew that something was wrong. I just kind of sat there at the end of the table, packed restaurant, sipping on a nice tea, and I knew something was about to happen. I didn't know what it was, but I could tell you at that moment, I just knew that I, was, I felt like I was going to die for an unknown crazy reason. And I'm, mind you, I'm 15 years old. Well, I walk out of the restaurant, I say, excuse me, I need to go outside. Well, I was no hiding at that point. All I remember at that point is walking out of the restaurant, sitting on the bench outside the restaurant. The the family's coming up behind me, and that's the last thing I remember. Well, when I came to, I was actually in an ambulance, and the full lights and sirens going, and I just was kind of really out of it. But uh, I remember being in an ambulance and hearing the noise, and then I went out again. The next thing I know, I wake up in an MRI or CT scanner, rather, and um, I just went out again. Well, they later on, long story short, but I uh, found out that during that time, as they were coming out of the restaurant, they said I fell over onto the ground and I started having full, what appeared to be, grand mal seizures. And I've had no history of any neurological illnesses or anything in the past. I played football in high school. I was a real healthy kid. Um... I was very active, uh, athletic, no issues at all, like neuro-wise. And this is just out of the blue. Well, I, I, at least from my point of view, was extremely confused during what was going on. And there's, um, you know, when you come out of a grand mal seizure, they, we call it your, your postictal, is a state of where you're, um, you're unconscious, but your, your, um, your brain is, is like in a, a, a form of recovery mode, so to speak where your brain is trying to correct itself. But that's the state that I was in. They said I had three grand mal seizures. Um, I fell on the ground. I, um, bystanders were coming by, and they were identifying it as, you know, there were some of them were epileptic that my my, uh, my girlfriend's family said they were saying, that's a grand mal seizure, that's a seizure. You know, have an ambulance come. Well, they, they, it was just out of the blue. Well, say the least, I, I went to Stanley Hospital in Orlando, and my mom and my sister, they're all nurses at uh, the hospital here locally. They rushed over to Orlando, and initially they thought I had a bleed in my brain from the MRI. Oh. But, um, to say the least, they thought that um, I had, you know, blown, like basically had a stroke or an aneurysm during the uh, roller coaster. Well, there was, uh, thank God, a radiologist, and this different one got a hold of it because they were ready to prep me for a craniotomy. But, um, He's looked at his nose of reverse uh, shadow for it. So some sort of a shadow of anomaly on the MRI it was not a stroke or a bleed, thank God. It was, you know, then it was time to start all the testing, all this testing that I can't even begin to tell you the neuro tests that they went through. One of them was a sleep deprivation EEG. 
that was one of the things that the neurologist ordered. And that's a special type of uh, electroencephalogram. I'm sure we've, we've heard of that. They put all the little sticky leads all across the skull and the head. And they measure your brain waves um, as you've, after you've been up and force yourself to stay awake the whole night. You go in the next day with no sleep. And then they hook you up under video monitoring with uh, many technicians and a neurologist, sometimes it's there, and video recording you as you lay down. And they uh, put you through stages where you're awake and then you go to sleep. Did you remember anything from your dream when you were in the uh, hospital? Um, From that point, no. I remembered nothing. The last thing I remember was just I felt like, I mean, I felt like you the best way I can describe it is like a, a maybe, you know, you're being chased by Michael Myers or something, just this horrible fear that you just know you're going to die, and that's, you have no idea why. I had no idea why. I just never felt like that in my whole life. It was horrible. And what about when you crazy. finally got home? Did, did it continue there? When I got home, they, um, the testing all this continued, all these spinal taps and um, MRIs and EEGs and sleep deprivations. Well, that's when all the stuff started. They were trying to pull together enough data to figure out, was I an epileptic? What, what was the diagnosis here? Um, part of it, what, what um, the um, multi-fat, so when I got home with the, and having the sleep paralysis, um, I can't explain how that is. If you've had it, you know. It's just I was having it so frequently. And I'm sure, as people know, if you haven't had sleep paralysis, the general consensus of what it, what it includes is, Soon after you start to fall asleep, usually is when most people have it. Um, in between, there's the stages of sleep. I'm sure most people know they've heard of REM, rapid eye movement sleep. And there's other stages of sleep other than REM. There's different um, periods and stages of sleep. Well, we know what REM is. It's where we get our healing. It's where the body is in deepest sleep. It's where we dream. Um, that now the stage in between right before REM and right after REM, there's different stages before we're awake. Well, those stages right before and after REM, they believe that that is the period where sleep paralysis comes into play. And this is the scientific aspect of it. Now, I know there's many different beliefs of it, but this is what they, the textbooks would say. Um, they know that that's when it, it kicks in. And you know, the, the universal experience of it is where you're lay, lying in bed or and wherever you fall asleep and you're, you're awake. You swear that you're wide awake during the incident, but you can't move. You can't move or scream or yell or anything, but you swear that someone is in that room with you who shouldn't be in that room, and they're staring you down like they just—they're going to—they're going to hurt you. They're an intruder. They're a, or a spirit, or it's something evil, malevolent, and it's coming for you. And you better move, or it's going to get you. That type of feelings and. And Lisa's, you, Lisa was saying, you, you, you go and through I've that same. And I've talked about a lot of things with you. About And this that. is very similar mm-hmm. to mine. I'm sorry I didn't mean to interrupt. No, so. you're fine. That's okay. Uh, so, I mean, as you, as you can, so, I mean, you've, you've experienced it before, too. So, I'm sure you, like, you, you can relate. I mean, this, this is the universal experience of it. Well, then also, a lot of times, uh, people feel like a pressure on their chest, too. Like, they can't. A lot of people have experience where they have trouble breathing too, even though mm-hmm. they are breathing fine biologically. And, um, you know, as far as the body's concerned, they swear that they're not. And a lot of people have the experience where the intruder, so to speak, is actually pushing their, down on their chest. And some people swear they're on their chest. It's a horrible feeling. But um, the feeling of being stared down by whatever's in that room with you, 
that is the one consistent thing I always had, and that was the worst part of it. I mean, the worst part, you think, was the paralysis part. Well, that's the horrible part, but I think the worst part was that just out of the, the line of your sight, of the peripheral vision was my experience. It was always the peripheral. I could just see the, whatever it was in the room with me, in the dark room, like right there. You couldn't look over. I couldn't, you can't move to look at it, but you can see just the little you know, shadow of it right there, and it's, it's going to get you any second is the feeling until finally you can just, oh, just like come out of it, and it's just a, a feeling of panic. And, like, you, know, you just want to jump out and run out of the room, and you need to tell someone about it. And there's another feeling, like, it, you know, you want to tell someone and rejoice that you're okay and that you're alive and that it starts to come quickly, come to that, okay, that was, you know, that was not someone in the room. But a lot of times people don't come to that conclusion. They swear that someone was in the room, and they run out of that room in that house, and they don't go back in for the night sometimes. And that's when I first had that experience, and I had it many times. So so how did you how did you both basically get over this situation? Did time go by to replace this, or is this a reoccurring thing that happens every once in a while? I'm blessed that I haven't had to go through this situation. So, you know, I just I, I'm like a log when I sleep, and usually I'll wake up, but I'm I'm a, I'm a very apathetic dreamer. I will dream and dream and dream all night long. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. my question is, how did, how did you get past this point of sleep paralysis? Do you still suffer from this right now? Um, myself, I have not near as frequently now. Now, speaking of which, I did have I actually have my first episode I've had of it in years. Actually, probably about, about a month ago. It's been pretty recent. It's kind of strange that that happened. But yes, it was just like it was when I was a teenager. What about you, Lisa? Um, I was letting him talk, but then I wanted to talk about my story too. Okay. I, I didn't want to interrupt because you know I have a problem with interrupting. Well, I'm fighting, I do. I have a problem with interrupting, and then keep talking, and everyone was like, "Shut up, time. Lisa! Shut up!" No, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I always, when I have something to say, I have something to say. No, you're good. You're good. Please jump on in anytime. I've been running my gator enough. Very similar, <laughs> but similar. Okay. I told him about this. This one was, it's very similar, but mine is just a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I was very relaxed. It was a very unusual relaxed state. And I wanted to take a nap. And, um, well, I started to nap, but I wasn't napping. I don't know what I, what I was doing. It was like I was awake, but I was asleep. I don't know how to explain these things unless someone has gone through it, you know, and they'll say, oh, my God, that's how I felt, too. But I was it was it's only when I'm in in a very lax state that I've noticed things happening to me. It's almost like a meditative state. And it's very hard for me to do that because I have such severe anxiety and all these other things. This was just like I was tired. I need to sleep. I was just so relaxed, and I don't know where it came from. It was just something over my body, and then um, I um, slept, whatever you want to call it, take a nap, and then it felt like, I'm not going to say it was on my body, but it was heavy on my body, and I kept trying to move, and I couldn't, but my head was moving quick, back and forth. It was like something that you'd see the uh, the exorcist, like, her body was still, you couldn't move, but your head is going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth so quick. 
And I was like, what the heck is going on with me? And then I, I tried to move and then I would move. And then when I was moving, my body was switching back and forth, back and forth, back and forth positions like my head. I was like, uh, okay. And then I looked up and there was something else in the room. Mm. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know if it was me astral projecting, which it could have been. True. It could have been. And a lot of people have the same experience and say, I was astral projecting. I saw myself and I couldn't see myself because I was in the dark room and I didn't go anywhere because I stopped. Or it could have been something else. And people have said they've seen things that are dark and mine was dark. But I was also, my all my lights were off and it wasn't like I felt a bad force in there. It scared me. You know, when you go through something the first time like that, what are you supposed to, you know, you're a little freaked out. But that's right. like, um, that's what I went through. And it was extremely hard for me to wake up. I didn't think I was ever going to wake up. That was what I was more scared of. So that goes through your I mind. Just, yes. This it is, just kept going on and on and on and on back and forth. My head and my body was going back and forth, back and forth. And I'm like, wake up. Like, why can't I wake up? And it felt like something was on me, but it wasn't on me. It was more like a heavy sensation. Like, I'm trying to move, but I can't. And my head is going back and forth. And why is my body going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth? And then I stop. And then I looked. And there was something in the room. And I looked up. And then I woke up. And I was in a sweat. And I'm like, was that a night terror? Because I have night terrors. But it wasn't a night terror. And I can tell you that was not a night terror. Because I, I knew the difference between my night terrors and something else. But, I mean, I... You know, I'm not like a genius on this stuff, but I can only tell you, I have a lot of weird things that have happened to me. And that was one of them. And it, whatever was in the room, it disappeared. I never saw it again. I'm almost thinking that maybe my body was preparing me for astral projecting or maybe it was sleep paralysis. You, you really don't know. You know, I mean, you really don't know, but it was something when you're saying all those things and I was listening I'm like that's very similar to how I felt I mean I was a little different but to th I did see something in that room mm -hmm. I couldn't wake up I had a heavy sensation and I know I have a friend of mine who actually gets consistent sleep paralysis and he says it sounds more like sleep paralysis and I'm like well who am I to tell you no because you're actually he's like a biochemist and he's very smart but he's also not he doesn't believe in these types of things. Well see that's what I'm saying like Troy being a nurse he's a very educated person he's exactly. very trained in this. And it's, it's hard to talk to people who don't understand certain situations. You know what I'm talking about? Right. And it, and I'm not, I'm saying this vaguely because it's not just this, but it's also other situations in life. If you've never gone through something and someone just talks about it, I'm like, you really don't know what you're talking about because you've never gone through it. So don't talk mm -hmm. about it. And, but for this, if I talk to someone about it that's gone through it and they're like, this happened to me too. And um, I had a friend who would tell me that she would just travel through her sleep because she was so very she was good with actually projecting but the problem was that she had to be careful because she would just keep going and going and she would go and just go to different places and just keep going and she was like I never knew if I was ever going to be back and um, so for you her that's a lot of people her. don't know you take risks when you go out there you so do far. because you travel yes you travel and for her she was able to control where she wanted to go she wanted to go to Beijing 
That's where she wanted to go. She wanted to go into someone else's dreams. She was one of those twos. And she could talk to people like that. I'm like, you're very good at what you do. You're very powerful. She was like, yes, but you don't know if you're ever going to be back. And there are also other entities out there that prevents you from coming back. She's like, you've got to protect yourself. And I'm like, wow. I'm like, I'm not that powerful. Yeah. I'm like, I know I'm powerful, but not that powerful. She could control her own dreams and go wherever she wanted. She had been practicing this for a long time. I'm just saying like, I mean, there's other things that people believe in and that's okay. And I don't, Say anything, but I, I've other than this, I could tell you millions of stories, and I don't want to take up this. You're the guest, but I, I very much similar that happened to me too. And it was a little freaky when I saw whatever it was in that room, it could have been me or it could have been anything else. It, whatever it was, it was I woke up in a sweat, it was terrifying for me. It was terrifying, and I'd never experienced that. If that's the first time for everyone, you're gonna be terrified. I'm gonna jump to a new subject. Go ahead. New subject. Cats, because I began, I began the, I began the show with a, a story from Howard Philip Lovecraft, otherwise known as H.P. Lovecraft. Lovecraft, and uh, the name of the poem was called "The Cats," and uh, he also wrote a story later on called "The Cats of Ulthar. And basically, it tells a story about when he was dreaming, because he was a dreamer, and he took a lot of his stories from when he projected himself and when he went through his dreams. And I want to find out your point of view is cats. Simple subject. Are cats from this earth? No. Mm, that's, a, that's, a really, that's a really good question. I think that that's from this earth. I think they're special. I mean, I think they're special from any other animal in in uh, that we that we encounter. Their intelligence level, their their senses, their their skill of um, mobility, and their you know eye paw coordination, so to speak. That is something that is extraordinary in every every feline that I've encountered. So I think that it's fair to say that they are very special. Well, the thing is, usually when Ever you're near a paranormal event or some supernatural event, everybody that I usually talk to usually says, if you want to protect yourself, you have a cat nearby. And the cat will actually see stuff that we cannot see because we're only designed to see what we're designed I to have see. To oh, go ahead and tell me. We Are got, you sure about that? I got about around 10 more minutes before Aaron kicks me off. But actually, I got a story I'm going to play after we get done talking. I'm going to let you tell your story about your cat. You sure right now? Go ahead. Oh, man, I got so many of them, though. Uh, go ahead. Grab the biggest, juiciest one and thrill us with it, baby. Okay, I'll do one of the recently ones that you were, go. like, saying there was someone following me here and you knew about it. Right. Uh, let's do that recent one. I have a million of them, but I can try and do this one fast. Um, and he, uh, Elder knew it and saw it, and he's like, "You, whatever is following you here, you need to smoke it out and get rid of it because it's following you here and it's following us here, and it's a bad day every day. And I was like, I know it's here. I don't know how to get rid of it. It just... Every day over my shoulder. I'm sorry. I'm looking over my shoulder. That's what it was. Every day. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know. I don't know what to do with it. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what it was. It was just there every day. And I was like grumpy. Whatever it was. I went to uh, Mystical Sense in Thanatasasa. Not too far away from me. And um, great place. It was a metaphysical store. Uh, great people. And um, I just told them basically this is what's going on. Can you please give me something? And I had a few supplies at my house, but I just said, I, th- I feel like I need a few more things. 
and I did. This is when I knew I was more of a powerful witch than I ever knew. More of a powerful person, I guess I should say. And I went home by myself, and um, my cats were around me, and um, I took out my holy water, blessed by the Catholic Church and a priest. I'm serious. Sometimes you really need something serious in your house, and if you believe it, then there it is. And I believe I, I actually still have it. And um, sage, lots of white candles, um, some blessed spray, sage spray. I brought out everything, even Arcurian type stuff, like sprays, like blessed from the up above that you can't even get to, like specific stuff for this. And I was like, whatever is in here is getting out and it's ruining my life and I'm going to get rid of it. I opened up all my windows in my door and I knew it was there. Because I was wearing pigtails and my cats were looking at me and it was like they were getting ready for me to prepare for something. It was weird. I was just doing it by myself and they walked, just walked up to me. I opened up my uh, windows and my door and I felt it right there, right, right over my shoulder. Again, I felt it. You just knew. And um, I threw the holy water on it and I heard a hiss mm. and my pigtails flew up. I've never seen that. And my cats growled and ran away. It knew it was there. That is the scariest thing. And it wasn't, I swear I wasn't high. I wasn't on anything. I went there completely sober and I my pigtails flew up in the air and everything was like a breeze around me. And I heard a hiss, I swear. And my cats growled and they ran away so quick and they were shaking they were they and i knew it wasn't a good thing that it was around me and i just started saging because i was freaking out and i felt things like i felt a breeze and then it just went out i kept all the windows and the doors open i i didn't feel i haven't seen it or felt it since then whatever it was it, it could be anything like but it, it that that one of those things that scare me. I have other stories, but that one was the most recent one where I'll always remember, like, I was not high, I was sober, and um, it wasn't windy, it was in the summertime, and that scared me, and my cats knew. My cats just don't hiss, they don't do those things, they just lay back, and they just walk by me as soon as I started saying these things, and I threw the holy water and the light and the sage in it, it's like it freaked out, and it didn't like it, and it just, I kept everything open, and I just kept saying, you're not welcome here, get out of my house, you're not welcome here, get out of my house, I'm protected by the holy light, you know, I have like only white light, and I just had to like think of all like things that would protect my house, I never saw it since then, but I mean, and you also told me to smoke it out and I burned that incense to smoke it out. I, I did everything to get that thing out. I don't think, I don't think it's been around me since then. Well, let's, I don't think so. I mean, things are always going to be there and people are always going to put things on you and you can also bring energies onto you as well, which has happened to me. So I stories and that, but this one was the most recent one where my cats, they didn't like what was there. Mm-mm. Wow. Interesting story. I know I have so many. Oh my god. Well, what what we're gonna do? We're gonna we're gonna listen to this right here. Okay. Because cats are important, and we'll see Absolutely. what uh what what goes through with this, and uh, find out what kind of spiritual animals they are. Cats of Ulthar 
by Howard Philip Lovecraft, June 15, 1920. This story is in the public domain. It is said that in Uthar, which lies beyond the river sky, no man may kill a cat. And this can be very believed as I gaze upon the stealth purring before the fire. For the cat is cryptic and close to strange things which men cannot see. He is the soul of antique Egyptus and bearer of tales from forgotten cities of Monroe and Ophir. He is the kin of the jungle lord and heirs and secrets of Hore and sinister Africa. The Sphinx is his cousin, and he speaks her language, but he is more ancient than the Sphinx, and remembers that which she has forgotten. In Uthar, before the Bugres forbid the killing of cats, there dwelt an old cotter and his wife, who developed a trap in slaying the cats of their neighbors. Why they did this, I do not know, save that many hate the voice of the cats in the night, and take it ill that the cats should run stealthily in their yards and gardens at twilight. But whatever the reason, this old man and woman took pleasure in trapping and slaying every cat that ever came near their home. And for some of the sounds heard after dark, many villagers fancied that the manner of slaying was exceedingly particular. But the villagers did not discuss such things with the old man and his wife, because of the habitual expression on the withered faces of the two, and because their cottage was small and so darkly hidden under the spreading oak in the back of the neglected yard. In truth, much as the owners of the cats hated these old folks, they feared them more, and instead of battering them as brutal assassins, merely took care that not cherished pets or mousers should stray from their remote hovel under their dark trees. When through some unavailable oversight a cat was missed and sounds heard after dark, the loser would lament impatiently and console himself by thanking fate that it was not one of his children who had vanished. For the people of Uthar were simple and knew not whence it is all cats first came. One day a caravan of strange wanderings from the south entered the narrow cobbled streets of Uthar. Dark wanderers they were, and unlike the other roving folk who made their passage by the village twice every year, in the marketplace they told fortunes for silver and bought gay beads from the merchants. What was the land of these wanderers, none could tell, but it was seen that they were given to strange powers that they have painted on their sides or their wagons strange figures with human bodies and heads of cats, hawks, rams, and lions. 
and the leader of the caravan wore a headdress with two horns and the curious disc between the horns. There was in this singular caravan a little boy with no father or mother, but only a tiny black kitten to cherish. The plague had not been kind to him, yet had left him a small furry thing to milligate his sorrows. And when one is very young, one can find great relief in the lively antics of a black kitten. So the boy whom the dark people called Minnie's smiled more often than he wept, and he sat playing with his grateful kitten on the steps of the oddly painted wagon. On the third morning of the wanderer's stay in Uthar, Minnie's could not find his kitten. And as he sobbed aloud in the marketplace, certain villagers told him of the old man and the wife, and of the sounds heard in the night. And when he heard these things, he sobbed and gave place to meditation, and finally to prayer. He stretched out his arms towards the sun, and prayed in a tongue no villager could understand. Though indeed the villagers did not try very hard to understand, since their attention was mostly taken up by the sky and the odd shapes of the clouds that they had assumed. It was very particular, but as the little boy uttered his petition, there seemed to be a form overhead in the shadows, nimbulist fingers of exotic things, of hybrid creatures crowned with horn flight discs, natural in form of such illusions to impress the imagination. That night the wanderers left Uthar and were never seen again, and the householders were troubled when they noticed that in the alley there was not a cat to be found. For each hearth a familiar cat had vanished, Cats large and small, black, gray, striped, yellow and white. Old Cranon, the burgomaster, swore that the dark folk had taken the cats away in revenge for the killing of Minnie's cat, and cursed the caravan and the little boy. But Nith, the lean notary, declared that the old cobbler and his wife were most likely the persons to suspect, for their hatred of the cats was notorious, increasingly bold. Still no one durst the complaint to the sinister couple. Even when little Alti, the innkeeper's son, vowed that he had at twilight seen all the cats of Uthar in that accursed yard under the tree, pacing very slowly and solemnly in a circle around the cottage to abreast as if performing some unheard rite of beasts. The villagers did not know how much to believe for so small a boy and though they feared that the evil pair had charmed the cats to their death they preferred not to child the old cobbler till they met him outside his dark and repellent yard. So Ultar went to sleep in vain anger, 
And when the people awoke at dawn, behold, every cat was back in his accustomed hearth. Large and small, black, gray, striped, yellow and white, none were missing. Very sleek and fat did the cats appear, and censorious and pouring over their content. The citizens, taken with one another of this affair, and marveled not a little. Old Cranon again insisted it was the dark folk that had taken them, since the cats did not return alive from the cottage of the old man and the wife. But all agreed on one thing, that the refusal of all the cats to eat their portion of meat and drink their saucers of milk was excessively curious. And for two whole days the sleek, lazy cats of Uthar would not touch their food, but only doze by the fire or in the sun. It was a full week before the villagers noticed that no lights were appearing at dusk in the window of the cottage under the trees. Then the lean Nith remarked that no one had seen the old man and his wife since the night the cats were away. In another week, the burgomaster decided to overcome his fears and call on the strange, silent dwelling as a matter of duty, though in so doing he was careful to take with him a shag, the blacksmith, and Thule, the cutter of stone, as a witness. And when they had broken down the frail door, they found only this, two cleanly picked human skeletons on the earthly floor and a number of singular beetles crawling in the shadowy corners. There was subsequently much talk about the progresses of Uthar. Zath, the coroner, disputed the length with Nith, the lean notary, and Cranon, and Shag, and Thule were overwhelmed with questions. Even little Alta, the innkeeper's son, was closely questioned and given a sweet meat as reward. They talked of the odd cotter and his wife, and the caravan of dark wanderers, of small minis and his black kitten, of prayers of minis, of the sky during that prayer, of doings of the cats on the night of the caravan left, and of what was later found in the cottage under the dark trees in the repellent yard. And in the end, the burgresses passed that fashionable law, which is told by the traders in the Hanthing and discussed by travelers of Nur, namely, that in Uthar, no man may kill a cat. That was The Cats of Ulthar by Howard Philip Lovecraft. Uh, February 2nd, I want to remind everybody out there that uh, we're going to have an astral projection get-together. So if you astral project, if you are a dreamer, 
what we need you to do, that's candle mass. What we need you to do is to focus on Lakeland, Florida. I'm going to light a candle, and we're going to try to just write me back at sandmanlullaby at gmail.com. Let me know what happened when you did this, if you recognized anybody, if you recognized the color of the candles, if you just happened to notice anything different or what was around you. And that's what we want to try to do there. Uh, don't forget on Monday, uh, you have Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast with Aaron Hunter. On Tuesday, you have Aaron's Horror Show. Yeah, he's a good guy. Aaron does a horror show that's based on basically talking about horror movies, horror stories, anything that deals with horror. And uh, basically, he watches the movie so you don't have to. And on Wednesday, Terry's Mysterious Moments. Uh, Luscious Lady Lisa, I'd like to thank you for being in here in the realms with us. Uh, no worries. And uh, you still with us there, uh, Troy? Yes, sir, I am. Thank you so much for having me. And, dude, i like to thank you for uh, being in the realms with us because, you know, without you, this would basically just really, yeah, it would suck. So, <laughs> Thanks, man. So, uh, and uh, otherwise, uh, same bat channel, same bat time, whenever we get to the podcast again. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you've been in the Sandman Lullaby. Ha, 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 ha.